Thank you for joining this sermon podcast from Cornerstone Fellowship in Forest City, North Carolina. We hope that you are blessed and encouraged by today's message. Cornerstone exists to glorify God as we passionately pursue Him and make Him known through worship, discipleship, fellowship, and outreach. Here's today's message. Today we're going to look at 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. Uh, we'll begin in verse 1. We're going to read the whole chapter. See, it didn't take us long to get through 1 Peter, did it? I believe with all of my heart, this is where God has us today. And it seems like we have really been around the mountain and back twice trying to get here. But it's just like a lot of events coming together and God's just got a word for us. We're in the very last chapter of 1 Peter. He begins with these words, and let's listen carefully. Therefore, therefore I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. He says, shepherd, you may have feed. The, the word literally is shepherd or pastor or tend to the flock of God among you. Exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness. Nor yet as lording over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. You younger men, likewise, be subject to your elders. And all of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Not elders, no, toward each other. Wear humility like it's clothing. Toward one another, for God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all of your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. Be of a sober spirit and be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. But resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. And after you have suffered for a little while, I like that. I don't know how long a little while is. But what I do know is it's not forever. The God of all grace, who called you to His eternal glory in Christ, will Himself perfect or complete you, confirm you, strengthen, and establish you. To Him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. Through Silvanus, our faithful brother, for so I regard him, 
I have written to you briefly. He was called an amanuensis. He took dictation. Peter would speak the words. Sylvanus would write them down. So he's honest about that. He said, he wrote these words. I spoke them. God spoke them to me. Exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is in Babylon... Chosen together with you sends you greetings. And so does my son, Mark. So that's how Mark and Peter got together. And Babylon is not the ancient city that even at this time, there were only a few remnants left of it. No, he's in Rome. But he's calling it Babylon because that's what it's become. Babylon was always the personification of spitting in the face of God. And he says, I'm at the headquarters. I'm in the Washington, D.C. of Babylon when I write this. I'm in Rome. He says, and the church, she who is in Babylon with me, she sends your greetings And so does my son Mark. Greet one another with a kiss. We'll be watching for that after church today. With a kiss of love. Peace be to you all who are in Christ. Therefore is the first word in this chapter. It's not just uh, to add some kind of explanation or to make the passage flow. We have a few words like that in Scripture, but this one's literally there, and it's there for a purpose. He has taken four chapters of warning us and talking to us about all of the things that are going to be going on around us. He warns us we're living in the last days. The end is, is near, and and he says things are going to get tough. He says it's already like Christ has waited longer about his return than we thought he would. And here we are now. We're going through some horrible things. And if you just look back, because we couldn't look at all of them for sake of time. But if we just look back at the previous chapter. In chapter 4, verse 7, he says the end of all things is near. He says, therefore... Be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. You're going to need to be able to pray. You don't need anything in your life that's hindering your prayer life. You don't need anything that's coming between you and some serious time on your knees with God because the end is near. He goes on in chapter 4, verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you which comes upon you for your testing As though some strange thing were happening to you. He says there'll be an ordeal and it will be a fiery one. And then one more in in verse 17 of chapter 4. He says, for it is time for judgment to begin with the household of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? It's going to get tough. 
And I know he wrote 2,000 years ago, and that seems like a long time, but in God's uh, estimate of time, that's not very long at all. But he is warning the church. He has given us a great word. And now he begins with therefore, and he begins to sum it all up for us. He says there's some things that if you are, and, and we're here, serving God in a world that doesn't, he says there's some things you need to remember. There's some things that you don't need to ever forget about. Things you need to pray for. Things you need to ask for. There's some things that you need to be mindful of as you move through this world. Serving God in a world that cares absolutely nothing at all about Him. And he starts with our elders. He starts with our elders. Two things about them. He says a lot. We'll, we'll look at two of them. One, he talks about what is the mandate of these elders. What is it that these elders among you are going to be doing? Verse 1, Therefore I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. He says, verse 2, Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight. All three words for elder is used in this passage, in these two verses. I know this sometimes may sound strange to us. I wasn't raised in a church that even had elders. I thought every church in the world had one pastor, had a group of deacons, and they got together and then if they could come to a consensus, would bring it to the church, and then the church would vote on it, and then we'd fight about it. And I, I thought that was how it was pretty much done everywhere. I had no idea that that particular, and I've got to move fast this morning, so you have to listen carefully. I had no idea that that whole paradigm is nowhere in Scripture. Nowhere do you find that in Scripture. But what I will tell you that you will find everywhere in the New Testament is there were a group of men that were called by God, and they were sometimes called elders, sometimes they were called overseers, and sometimes they were called pastors or shepherds. He uses all three titles here. Elder is the Greek word presbyteros. We get it from an old Hebrew word, zakain. And the zakanin, that's plural. They were a group of old dudes, okay? They sat around the gate of the cities. And if you had some business to take care of, you'd go out to the gate of the city. And you can see this happen a lot throughout the Old Testament. Uh, Boaz, when he needed to make a land deal with, with some of Ruth's inheritance and all of that, you go to the gate of the city and, and you meet out there. That's where you got your tag renewed for your chariot or your whatever. You, you, that's, that's where you did your, your civic business. And, and these zakenin or these elders would sit there at the gate of the city. We bring that over, it seems, into the New Testament. And the church appointed elders, but they weren't just called elders. Sometimes they would be called overseers. That's from the word episkopos. Epi is a preposition that means over, and skopos means to see. So they would oversee things in the church. They didn't run the church, but they would oversee things. And then sometimes the same guys... And you can look in Acts chapter 20, you'll see all three words used there again in the same passage, but sometimes they're called shepherds. 
And sometimes we use that same word to translate pastor. I, I, I think it's interesting that it's always plural. Every church had more than one. In the New Testament, it was always elders. As a matter of fact, the only time the word elder is used in the singular is in verse 4 of this chapter, and it's talking about the chief shepherd. There is only one of them. The chief shepherd one day will appear, and that is Jesus Christ. So here's my word to pastors, and we'll move on. Unless you are Jesus Christ, you have no business trying to pastor a church by yourself. I don't care what paradigm you grew up in. I don't care what your denomination taught about it. I don't care how you were raised. I don't care how it's always been somewhere. I am telling you what the New Testament says about church leadership and how God designed it in the New Testament. And I know it's hard to believe that Wow, you mean we got so far away from that? How did we get there, Pastor? How did we get to that place where you have one old pastor and and, uh, and you got a bunch of old deacons and they all get together and they kind of hash it all out and, and then the church votes on it? That's another thing that's not in the New Testament at all. And you tell people that and they look at you like you got three heads. I can assure you, just read it. Just read it. It's there. That's the mandate that he's given us as elders. He says, remember your elders. I, I, I'm going to say one more thing and move on to their motive, but I like the word pastor, I think, best of all. You, you tend the flock. So if you tend sheep, you're a sheep tender. If you tend a cattle, you're a cow Cattle tender, if you tend to chickens, you are a... But to tend to the flock, you take care of them. You protect them. They're poisonous plants. They're poisonous plants that you can run into sometimes with a herd of sheep. They won't know the difference. Sheep are not aggressive. There's a technical word for sheep. It's called stupid. Very careless. They just eat. They just, just put their head down and eat, and they may get completely out of sight of the shepherd. And they can't find the shepherd. They can start eating on this side of the building and follow a green patch of grass around to this side of the building, and they don't know where they are. And they've lived over here ten years. They don't know where they are. They have to have a shepherd. And I'm not saying that uh, to disparage you. I'm saying we are all sheep. That's what God calls us. And He is our shepherd. And we are part of the flock. And we have to remember that about ourselves. And even us as elders, we are sheep as well. And we're still prone to the same mistakes. But I can tell you pastors are the ones that are to look out for the snakes and the wild animals. I, I love Psalm 23 where David says, Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. The rod was a, a stick, a heavy stick. It was a walking tall kind of stick, if you remember him. And he would use that thing to frail against an animal, a wolf or whatever, that was trying to eat the sheep. I mean, he would beat it to death. 
And then he had the staff, which was a longer rod that had a crook on the end. And he would reach out sometimes and get a sheep around the neck and drag him back because sheep had the tendency to go places that they couldn't get back from. Boy, doesn't that sound just like us? You ever got careless in your life and wandered off and you got so far away from where you were supposed to be, you didn't even know how to get back. It takes a shepherd to get you back. And, and David didn't say, thy rod and thy staff make, make me feel uh, uh, like you're lording over me. Or, or they make me feel inadequate. Or, or your rod and your staff make me feel subordinate. Or, or they offend me, God. No, he said they comfort me. Because the psalmist David wasn't a fool. He said, I've already been some places in my life. I'd have never made it back had it not been for your rod and your staff. Oh, when I see those things, they comfort me. That's their mandate. We talk more about it. The motive of being called to be an elder. He says in verse 2, not under compulsion, but voluntarily according to the will of God. Not for sordid gain, but do it out of eagerness and not as lording over those who are allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. I'll give you this list quickly just from what he says here. One of the motives, one of the wrong motives for being an elder is laziness. If you're lazy, you don't need to be an elder. Because you'll start being doing it by compulsion. Well, I got to go check on such and such, or well, I got to. And I hear me right now, buddy. I've been frustrated before, and yes, I have been sorry about this myself, so I confess it. But sometimes I catch myself feeling like, well, I guess I gotta go do this, or I guess I gotta go uh, to that meeting, or I gotta return this phone call, or whatever. That's a bad place to get into. Don't do it out of compulsion, but do it because. Because God Almighty called us to do it. Don't let pride be the reason you do it either. Do it according to the will of God. I don't know how many people in the world, their grandma called them into the pulpit. Oh, I just think he's going to make a little preacher. Well, if you, get in, if you go into ministry because granny said to, you'll hate granny before it's over. Do it because it's according to the will of God. Don't be great at teaching the Word like in a Sunday school setting and just assume, and I've seen it happen so many times, just assume, well, the next step then must be being a pastor. No, it doesn't work like that. Don't do it out of pride. Don't do it out of greed. He says don't do it for sordid gain. That could be money or it could be other things. Maybe you just got an itch in your life that needs to be fulfilled. Like you got to feel like you're in charge or, or, or you got some desire in your life to tell other people what to do. And, and, and it really feels good to you to have authority. The eldership is the last place you need to be. Don't do it out of arrogance. He says, don't lord over the ones allotted to your charge. In verse 3, see, we are overseers, not overlords, friend. You're not our sheep. We are all God's sheep. We belong to Him. And don't also be caught committing duplicity. Don't do it out of duplicity. He says, proving to be examples to the flock. If I'm going to tell you to do it, I need to be doing it in my own heart and life. And I fail at that. I understand that. 
But I need to prayerfully look at every area of my life where if my lifestyle is not matching what I preach, I need to make sure that I am an example. I'm not up here to just yell at you and tell you what you ought to do with your life. I need to be an example to the flock. Not just say it, but I, I need to be an example. And, and I, I, I'll, I'll move on with this. Let me, let me just tell you. We need leaders who are willing to serve and serve servants who are willing to lead. And the best example of that I know of is Jesus Christ himself. I love the verse in Mark 10, 45, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served. I didn't come to have my needs met. I didn't come to have my ideas heard. I didn't come to have my opinions respected. I didn't come for all of that. He said, I didn't come to be served. But I came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He is our example. Not only does he say, remember your elders. He says, secondly, I want to give you an exhortation. It's a word he uses quite a bit. He says in verse 5, humble yourselves. You younger men, likewise, be subject to your elders, and all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, for God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. He says, church, as you move forward, as you await the coming of our Lord and things get tough, he says, remember your elders. Pray hard for them. Remember what I've called them to do. Remember what I hold them accountable for in your presence. And then he says, also remember to keep yourselves humble. It's going to be easy to get uh, prideful when we get frustrated and, and there'll be a, a measure of that temptation as, as we move on because things are going to get tough. And I, I see it happening already in churches across America. A lot of them are getting smaller. Well, one day they may get big again and, and it may be filled with people who are truly born again. But I can tell you, friend, people who have for years used church as a hobby they're beginning to stay home more and more. They've got things to do. It's not easy anymore. It's not a thing. It's not worth just having a place to carry the young'uns and drop them off for a few hours anymore. And it's going to get tougher. He says, make sure you keep yourselves humble. I love this verse from Philippians Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. Don't do anything motivated by that. But with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. I believe with all of my heart that if we could begin to think of everybody else as being more important than ourselves, that would solve about 99% of the conflicts we have in our churches. What if you looked at everybody at church like, what they think is more important than what I think? <laughs> I, I, I know we say this a lot, and we got it from the world. We ought to give it back to them. But, boy, we like to, especially, I, I've heard it more at church than anywhere else. But it's, well, you know, some people just think they're better than everybody else. Who cares? 
You know what we're supposed to be thinking? We're supposed to be thinking, yeah, they are better than me. I, I know, that, that cuts against the grain, does it not? All of the lessons we've had in self-esteem and, and, and this great new movement that's coming about that tells us we don't have to listen to anybody and, and, and that uh, we've been oppressed or hated or whatever. And it's finally just time for us to stand up for ourselves and, and, and let our voices roar to the world. All of that cuts against what we read in Scripture. But God's not talking to the world. He is talking to you and I as His children. And He says, start by looking at everybody else as if they are more important than you. Notice Paul said in that same verse, but with humility of mind. Boy, in my mind, that's where it gets, that's where it gets going. <laughs> Boy, that's where we whisper those little statements when the person's out of earshot. And we say, oh, they don't want to know what I think. You know, you're probably right. They might not even care. Oh, I'd like to give them a piece of my mind. I'd be careful with that. You might not have that much of it left. I'd hang on to it. But in the mind is where we begin to think those things. And in the mind, if we're not careful, that's where we think, oh, I bet old so-and-so liked what I did. We got these folks that irritate us and we figure out ways to irritate them back. And all of that pride that builds up in us and it divides the brothers and the sisters of God. And we need to get that out of our lives. We need to humble ourselves. I mean, wear humility like clothing. And thank God, you can see way more of my clothes than you can see of me. Okay? You should see that. That's the way you should wear humility. It's not a little button you wear. No, it's, it's clothe your whole self in humility. Thinking of others as they are better than ourselves. He says, remember your elders. Remember that exhortation for humility. He says, thirdly, he said, I want to remind you of some encouragement. Concerning two things. One, our anxiety. He says, casting all your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. Casting all your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. And, and we could get into it. I, I don't want to take too long today. But, but it's called in, in the Greek an instrumental participle. It ties this verse with the previous verse. In other words, one of the reasons that we have for our anxiety sometimes is a lack of humility. He tied, both verses are tied together that way in the Greek. And what he means by that is if you're like me, sometimes I get a big old dose that I can handle it. Well, I want to tell you something. That's a lesson you don't want God to have to straighten you out on. If you can learn that without Him having to teach it to you, it'll be a lot easier. Oh, I can handle it. I can handle it. I got this, God. I want to tell you, enough things can finally go wrong. I, I came in the door this morning, and I, I swear, when people looked at me, I think some of them were scared to get close to me. I think the building's going to fall in on him next. I mean, what else could happen? 
Well, a lot could happen. But I'll tell you what God has done through some of this, and it has been tough. i got to tell you right now, it's just, it's, it's, oh man, it, it's been tough. I, I got through a first couple of things in 2020, okay, and, and then this last episode hit me, in it, and it really knocked me out of the saddle, but it helped to humble me under the mighty hand of God and cry out to God and say, God, I know I'm supposed to have it all together. I'm supposed to be big, tough, stout preacher Mike that can, that can just handle it all, but God, I cannot, and I need you so desperately in my life right now. And there's nothing in the world sweeter than when you feel Him put His arms around And you look over at your son and your daughter there in the room with you. And you realize that God loves you like you love them. Just more. That's the part I can't figure out. The more... He cares for you. That took me a long time to figure out. My life as a child was so messed up. I mean, really, I, there's no need to go into it, but I just tell you, I didn't know if anybody cared for me, and that's not me whining. And I just, early on in life, I had to just bow up and take it. And I was kind of from pillar to post, and I, had, I did not have a normal childhood. And I wondered if anybody cared. And it's sad, but the last person I figured out, parents, you remember this, when you raise your children, and when you teach them about God, it took me way too long to figure out that God cares about me. I needed somebody else caring about me, telling me that I care about you because I'm an example of how God cares about you. Wow, He cares about us concerning anxiety, also concerning suffering. He says, I know you're going to suffer. But He says two things about it. One, it'll be shortened. And secondly, it'll, they're shared. It'll be shared. Verse 10, after you've suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who called you to His eternal glory in Christ will Himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. It, it, it'll, it'll, it'll end. It won't last forever. One of these days, God Almighty is going to stand to His feet and say, that's enough, and He's going to call His bride home, and He's going to put an end to this world. But in the meantime, in the meantime, He says, we're going to suffer. But He says also, it's shared. In verse 9, He says, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. Boy, there are others in this world. They suffer too. They suffer too. I, I, I know. I have no doubt. It, it's hard for you and I to imagine somebody being just butchered because of their faith. We, we've not seen a lot of, of that, if any, here in our part of the world. But there are people in this world who suffer every day. And I've learned this, just because others suffer more, because I don't care who you are and how bad you hurt and how bad the circumstances are, you can always find somebody 
worse off than you. Man, I've heard that saying all my life. But I'm not sure what measure of comfort that's supposed to bring. Because when you are suffering and you feel alone, maybe your circumstances aren't as dramatic. Maybe you're ashamed to even admit that something like that could bother you so much when there are other people in the world who have far less and are going through far more. I, 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 let me just go ahead and give you the day off on that right now. God knows about your problem too. And when he healed the sick, he didn't just say, find the sickest ones out there. He helped people with a whole lot of issues that he already knew. They weren't problems at all. I think of his disciples in the storm. Jesus is in the boat asleep, and they're fighting and beating against the waves, and they think in any minute they're going to die. Jesus knew they weren't going to die. He already knew the problem was solved. He knew they were all going to survive, but he knew they didn't know that, and they were scared to death over something that was not even going to happen, and he cared about them. Most things I worry about don't ever happen. They're shared. There's others who suffer. Number four, he says, you also better remember your enemy. Your elders, remember them. Pray for them. Your exhortation, don't forget, stay humble. He said, I didn't give you two. I just gave you one. Stay humble. Number three, he said, yeah, I encourage you. But number four, he says, remember your enemy. Be sober of spirit and be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour this is a call to vigilance, friend. He says, you got an enemy out there, and he is after you. And I want to tell you something. I don't always give the devil uh, probably as much credit as he deserves. I'm not one of those that just believes the devil's hiding behind every corner. But I do believe this. I don't know how much of the issues I faced this past year he caused or whatever. I'm not even sure what his role was in all of that. But I can tell you, every time I got discouraged, he rejoiced. Every time I felt like the pain was unbearable, he was just loving it. Every time I was thinking about maybe I won't ever be able to preach again, he was rejoicing in all the demons in hell with him. I can tell you that much about that sorry rascal. We have an enemy out there. Remember that. Next time you hear a rumor at church and you don't know whether it's true or not, remember we go to church with a liar. Okay? Have you forgotten that? We go to church with a liar. I know I told you this years ago. I'll never forget in my second church, it was a church that had all kinds of problems. And I got this wise idea. Boy, I was about 25 years old. I got a lot of, had a lot of wisdom back then. Woo. I figured out how I was going to do this little sermon. I thought it'd be cute. I was in the wrong church to try this. They had fought for years. The church dated back to the 1700s. And they'd been fighting ever since they started. My first wise idea was I thought if I go there as their pastor, we can pull it all together. Oh, yeah. I preached one Sunday night. And, of course, I was talking about the devil, but I told him, I said, we got a liar in this church. 
There were people looking around. I said, oh, I'm going to name you too. You're not getting out of here tonight. I'm identifying you, buddy. Oh, you want to get up right now and leave, don't you? Oh, I, I, had, I had it all worked out. But you're scared to because then you'll know everybody will know who you are. No, you just sit right there because you've been called. And when I said, it's the devil, you could hear it. There's a whole lot of them thought, oh, Lord. People looked around to see if the one they thought it was was still here. I want to tell you something, we have an enemy. If we told you today that the seat team had discovered there was someone up in the woods with a high-powered rifle looking to take one of us out today, you wouldn't just lumber to your car nonchalantly. You'd take caution. You'd be careful how you stepped. You would guard your children. You'd know where they are and what they were doing. You'd get them close to you as you could. Yeah, we have an enemy. Don't forget our enemy. I love this verse, though. In Revelation chapter 12, verse 10, the Lord says, and then I, or John says, then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of His Christ have come for the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down. He who accuses them before our God day and night. And it says they overcame him. How did they do it in the next verse? They overcame him because of the blood of the Lamb and because of the word of their testimony. And they did not love their life even when they faced death. It is by the victory that we have through Jesus Christ on the cross that you and I, we can overcome our enemy as well. He just says, don't forget about him. And then, last of all, he says, don't forget about our eternity. Our elders, our exhortation, our encouragement, our enemy. He said in verse 10, don't forget about eternity. He says, who called you? He's talking about Jesus Christ. The one who called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen and establish you. God will do all of that. One of these days, this old world, as far as we know it, is going to come to an end. Man, we're called to something much greater than this world. This world is temporary. But we're going to live with God in eternity. Don't forget that. This life is, at best, is short. But I'm so glad we don't have to stay here all the time. I've been out of town a few times in my life. I've been to some third world countries. And boy, I can tell you, you stay very long. It gets tough. And for you missionaries, you're the toughest people in the world. Man, alive. I can tell you, I've been some places and I was glad it was short-term missions. It's just so hot. And the... 
The mosquitoes would just carry off small children. And, and it was incredible what you went through sometimes. But then I'd get to thinking, well, it won't be long I'll be going home. Well, this is not my home. And sometimes I think about this old world. It's not our home. One of these days, we're going to go be with God. And we're going to be with Him forever. And I know He is with us now. But one of these days, a lot of these things that aggravate us and worry us to death will be no more, friend. As I close this morning, I want to exhort you, Cornerstone. It's a biblical word, I know, but it means to plead and to beg someone in a way that, that, that will change their mind or get their attention. So I exhort you in this. As a church, we've been hit right smack in the mouth lately. You know, I, I'm almost reluctant to say this, but I think you'll understand what I'm saying. I know we're not the only elders here. And man, I want to tell you something. I thank God for all six elders in this church. You wouldn't believe the way they've stepped up. We have two paid elders. And yeah, there are certain duties of which we'll carry the lion's share. But that's Pastor Deese and myself. I, I can tell you, I, I, I'll, I'm, I said it before, but I'm going to be one of those people that's probably not going to look back on 2020 and think about COVID. I got some other things that happened. And it's incredible. Man, it, some of it's been tough. And I did really good for a while, but I think the last time I was able to preach before I went in for surgery, I told you, finally, the third strike got me. I finally broke down. I, I just, I, I'm telling you, it was just so much. And, and, and then it just, it, it just seemed to come from every direction. And, and, and there was so much fear. I, I don't ever do real well with, well, uh, we'll have the results back tomorrow. No. I want them today. Or we're going to check this too. I don't do well with those kinds of things. I, that anticipation gets the best of me. I, I can sit in a doctor's office and just knowing he's coming in the door makes me so nervous. When he finally comes in, I just about jump. It, it's just, I, I, I just don't do well with those things. And, and it finally got the best of me. And I, I just, boy, I'm telling you. And I'm not just making this up. I'm not... I'm not. I'm through playing artificial with anything, friend. I, this is for all for real. But I do know this: if this hadn't happened, we'd have never found the tumor. I saw signs, but I never said anything to anybody. I had a big old dose of, I got this. But because of this, somebody else figured something out. And I thought about it this week. I thought if this hadn't happened, I could still be playing. 
But I still have a tumor, a cancer inside me. And hallelujah, praise the Lord. We got this tumor. And according to the pathology reports and all of that, we got all of it. Hallelujah. I thought about this. You know, I prayed that there would be no cancer. (laughs) This was before I had that first test. Well, I thought about it since then, since the surgery and all. God answered the prayer. There's no cancer. But I'm thinking, well, now, God, I meant no before the surgery. (laughs) He's like, well, you're going to have to be more specific. It's tough. And what Pastor Deesa's family has been through, I can't even imagine. I just want you to understand something, church. The old devil, I'm not saying he caused all this. I mean, I don't think he shot me in the arm. I think he jumped out of the deer stand right before that happened. But I can tell you, he's rejoiced that two of your elders, life has hit them like a storm, like a bulldozer. That's why we need you to pray for us. I want to stand in this pulpit and I want to preach till I take my last breath. I want to be able to be your pastor for years to come. But I can tell you, there's some things that hit us, especially recently. And I know Pastor Deesa's heart. I hope he doesn't mind me saying these things today, but I pray for him so many times a day. They've been hit with a blizzard. They've been hit with things that you don't just wrap your mind around. You don't cut it out. You don't treat it. It's not something you get over. It's something you walk through. That's happened to us. Cornerstone, I hope it'll make you say I'm going to pray harder than ever. I'm going to get on my knees and I'm going to cry out to God harder than ever. This old world is a sin-sick place and it needs a place where we can go and hear the truth and where we can come together and we can fellowship with our brothers and sisters and know that they're sharing in the same sufferings that we are sharing in. We need a place like that. And I'm going to pray harder for Cornerstone Fellowship, our leadership, and my brothers and sisters in Christ. I'm going to pray harder than I ever have in my life. Because we are under attack. But praise the Lord God. (laughs) He's with us. My favorite verse in all of Scripture. Deuteronomy 20 verse 1. When you go out to battle. I'm glad he didn't say if. No, when. And you see horses and chariots. And a people greater than you. He says, be not afraid. For I the Lord your God. Who brought you out of Egypt. I saved you, Mike. I will be with you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you for joining us today. 
If you have any questions or would like to know more about Cornerstone, please visit our website at ServantsWay.com or email us at office at ServantsWay.com. Cornerstone Fellowship is located at 1186 Hudlow Road, Forest City, North Carolina. Please join us again next week.